Welcome to The Trophy Life, the podcast that uncovers the competitive spirit that drives us. This week on The Trophy Life, we welcome Allison Manley. Allison is a self-described, recovering, yet award-winning designer who applies her creative and organizational skills as an accomplished marketing strategist in the Chicago area. I first met Allison years ago. She was a pioneer in the podcasting industry. She's an accomplished competitive figure skater. She is an impressive glass blower, an awesome mom, and just an incredible human being. Join me while I welcome Allison and uncover what keeps her competitive spirit alive. Welcome, Allison. <laughs> Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your program. Well, I think you have the most robust skating resume of any of the athletes so far that I have interviewed because skating for you has truly become or shown itself to be like that resource, you know, like your chart, you know, when you put your phone into the charging docking station. To me, that's what it seems like, because it has has been that thread that has linked so many of your awesome accomplishments. And why don't you share that with us? When did you start? And what how do you currently, you know, integrate skating into your professional career? Sure. The reason I started skating is actually because I was born completely disabled. I was born with my hip socket Mm -hmm. uh, out of whack. The the, it had to be surgically fixed. I was in a full body cast for the first two months of life, which they had to change frequently because, of course, babies grow constantly. Um, my nose was squished to the right. Uh, my mother told me, she admitted to me when I was uh, well over 20 and had a decent you know, personality and ego and would not be damaged by the comment, but she waited until I was in my 20s to tell me that I was so hideous looking that I went when I was born that she said, well, we hoped you had a good personality because no one would want to look at you. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's how malformed I was. You know, I came out with my nose squished over and my hips were a mess and I was in this body cast and they basically just had to leave a hole in the bottom. There was yeah. no diapering. It was just towels. Mm-hmm. And um, then when the hips were set enough, they put me in a plastic cast and I learned how to walk like that. So I sort of walked this very awkward gait side to side. Um, and I had to wear that off and on until I was about two, is my understanding. Oh. Um, so, and at night, they had rigged a pulley system to the mm-hmm. ceiling. So I had to yeah. sleep on my back with my legs elevated to keep my hips set so I couldn't roll and damage right. my hips. There are no photographs of that, I'm told, because it was just... Uh, very traumatic for my mother. So she didn't want to document it. So, um, so when I was about two years old, the plastic cast came off and I learned how to walk normally. And they said, then there was no keeping up with me. Like once I figured out that putting my legs one in front of the other, I could go a hell of a lot faster. I just never stopped. And all of a sudden I was climbing on things and I was, I was basically a terror. And, um, my parents were instructed that even if I hated it to please sign me up for some sort of sport because my body needed to have the physical strength to grow properly. And so my mother first took me to ballet, which I barely remember. 
Right. But I am told that I hated it and I was horrible to the instructor and <laughs> mean and nasty because I just did not want to be there. And I was very yeah. ungracious. And my mother, in a fit of despair, was lamenting to one of her friends about, well, I just don't know what I'm going to do with this child. She doesn't want to do ballet. And they said, Celeste, don't you know that there's an Olympic training center just a half mile for you from figure skating? And there's a young kid named Scott Hamilton who's skating there training for the Olympics. You should check that out. And sure enough, we lived a half mile from the Philadelphia Skating Club and Humane Society. And my mother didn't even know it because if you've ever been to that rink, it's very tucked behind uh, a neighborhood. It's sort of nestled in between Haverford College and a very uh, residential neighborhood. You'd never know it was there. Adam trained there. So she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't know it was there. And and there it was just a half mile away. So she took me over and um, signed me up and I loved it. And what was great about it was that I also was diagnosed with hyperactivity back Mm -hmm. when I was six. So Mm -hmm. I was having trouble focusing in kindergarten. And my father was a surgeon and he was advised to put me on Ritalin, which at the Mm -hmm. time was a newer therapy. Now it's very common, Mm -hmm. but at the time it was a newer thing. And they said, well, she just doesn't focus very well in Mm -hmm. class. You know, we want to put her on this drug. And my father said, hell no, I'm not drugging my child. He didn't want to do that. And at the time it was scary. Mm -hmm. And um, he then this all sort of gelled together with the ballet not working out. And so they said, well, why don't we sign her up for skating lessons every morning at 6am? She'll get her energy out by the time she goes, well, she's kind of tired and she's ready to focus. So that's what they did. So I went to PCS, uh, PSC and HS every morning for a couple of hours. I did patch, I did freestyle, and then I would go to school and I could focus. And um, so it really was to, I, I was not supposed to be able to walk like when I was, wow. that was, yeah, I was not supposed to be able to walk at all. And then the fact that I was able to get my hips set right and yeah. be able to skate was something else. Now, uh, having said that I have the worst axle in the world. I can do it. <laughs> I get the points, but it is ugly. It's, mm-hmm. it's only slightly nicer than Sonia Henny's. I like mm-hmm. to say, because I can't throw my leg really mm-hmm. nicely in the Kick air because my mm-hmm. hip is, yeah, I can't kick yeah, it through well just because of the way my hip is sort of inset. It's restricted. Mm-hmm. So I have had five or six coaches over the years say that they were going to fix it. And each one of them finally just said, you know what? Let's just yeah. hide it in the corner. We'll tuck it in the choreography yeah. over here. So the judges yeah. have to kind of learn to do it with your arms up. Yeah. See if it's exactly yeah. right. Like do it, do add something to just sort of hide it. So add a feature, whatever. So it it's always... Well, not always, but it's very commonly the second element in my program because element they, they see we always want to be a good one, a strong right, one. Right, right. And then we want to, to do the axle to get the mm-hmm. points and then they forget it and they yeah. see everything else. Yeah. So we yeah. always structure my program so the axle is sort of tucked away. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm guessing that you probably have so, a beautiful loop. I'm guessing you have a beautiful loop. Is that true? I, I have a pretty good loop, yes. Uh-huh. My favorite jump is a flip. Okay. Um. I actually, believe it or not, even though my hips are restricted, I have, I'm one of the few adults who can actually do spread eagles both directions in a sequence. Okay. But that's almost my force. I I somehow forced myself to learn to push my blade that way Mm -hmm. so that I could actually do that. Um, I shouldn't be able to do that. Mm -hmm. 
You know what? Nothing fo- makes you focus more than a 5 a.m. patch session. <laughs> and honest to God, talk about keeping your hips strong. Right. Those 5 a.m. patch sessions where yeah. you had an hour of just those teeny tiny movements, having to control your blades yeah. so finely. A lot of people were don't know what patches. Incredible. So explain that. Explain what patches because I don't sure. think know. So the reason it's actually called figure skating is because mm-hmm. Up until around 1990, everyone had to do figures, which was drawing, uh, tracing figure eights into the ice in different ways. And there are variations on each figure and there are eight levels and they get gradually harder. Mm-hmm. And they train skaters very well to control their body movements and their blade. And many of the movements translate directly into doing freestyle. Mm-hmm. They have since obliterated figures mainly for television mm-hmm. uh, because originally figures were part of the score for the Olympics and the world championships. And the viewers at home did not understand uh, why once they got to view the short program that someone came in pre-ranked because they mm-hmm. didn't understand that there had been a previous round of competition in the figures. Mm-hmm. So um, mainly television shut it down over time. And I believe the last figures competition, I can't remember the exact year, uh, 91, 92, mm-hmm. or definitely early 90s. But I kept doing them up until I actually passed my third figure test in 2007. Wow. So I, uh, I'm one of the last people who has taken a figure test. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still people who have passed tests after me, but it's fewer and further between mm-hmm. as the judges are no longer around to be able to to judge figures. Right. But it was a great warm up in the mornings. It was very zen. Mm-hmm. It was boring. If you were a 10 year old, it was incredibly boring. Right. When I was 30 and 40, it was mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a level of concentration that that is unlike any other, but it also really, really strengthened all those teeny tiny muscles in your hips right. incredibly well. And it, and it kept me injury free, I would say for mm. decades. So, oh, okay. And yeah. also in order to know where you're at, you have to create your own circle with the scribe, right? Right. So it was like a big metal compass, right? right. You know, we all went in grade school, or at least the older generation, we mm-hmm. used to use actual compasses, right? Where we would right. draw circles. But so a scribe is a metal very, it's, it's making very large circles that are, you know, up eight to 10 feet in diameter. Um, and I do have one that I've mm-hmm. held on to for all these years. And you trace that out first and you practice on that. But when you're taking the test, you're not allowed to use the scribe. You have mm-hmm. to freehand it. You have to be that good that right. you can just do it on your own. And the, the thing so. is, this, this skill, not only does it help you recreate a pattern, but it has to be symmetrical. You know, the, the it has to be symmetrical, mm-hmm. it has to be, it has to be lined up. The turns have to be clean. The edges mm-hmm. have to be clean. They, um, they have to be traced well. Mm-hmm. And it is honest to God. I don't think there's been anything in my life I've done that made me focus more than doing wow. figures. It's, it's quite, I don't know if uh, so many skaters don't do figures these days. They don't. Right. I'd be curious to see how they appreciated it if they ever had to had to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think when even Adam, my oldest, when he was skating, his coach was uh, she was f- familiar with. Uh, that's how I know what a scribe is because I saw her take it out one day, and I was like, "What's that?" 
Um, so <laughs> I'm so fancy that I researched this. Um, but she did. And she said um, she had a beautiful loop jump. And she yeah. said that she attributed that to a certain figure that she practiced and that she was very skilled yep. at. So um, I do. Yeah, there are definite. Yeah, there's definite uh, skills that you learn through figures that are directly translatable to free skating. One hundred percent. I holding the edge, mm -hmm. which to me translates directly into holding a back edge on a sow cow, being mm -hmm. able to check that position when you've turned that edge around before you take off. Mm -hmm. um, yeah on the loops, uh, which directly translates into how you go into a spin, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be able to control exactly when you've hooked that edge and you mm -hmm. can rise up into the spin. Mm -hmm. All of those things are 100% relatable to figures. Um, I do know of one skater, one very famous older skater, I believe it's Don Jackson, who will argue this point mm -hmm. with me. He he didn't think that figures needed were necessary at all, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I would say most people, the general consensus is that they were really wonderful. Of course, mm -hmm. when you look at today's skaters, none of them have done figures, not one of them. They were all born yeah. after figures okay. were well gone and yes. they have beautiful edges and mm -hmm. techniques. So, mm -hmm. but a lot of their coaches did figures. So they're right. able to transfer that knowledge. And sometimes even the moves in the field that are now the replacement mm -hmm for figures and the testing, you know, side by right. side in parallel to, to figure skating, like the freestyle component, um, they do have to do moves in the field, which transfer to certain foot maneuvers, you know, brackets and mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, mohawks and, and different footwork patterns that, you know, they have to master, I guess, in order to pass that level. But some of the kids rush right through them. And it's right. You know, you right. don't see a Josh Ferris's feet or Jason's feet or Nathan's feet right. all across right. the board. You know, sometimes you just see people skating back and forth. I'm going to include Adam in that too. Um, Got to have, <laughs> have a little because <laughs> I think he's a, a beautiful. He does beautiful footwork. Um, his edge quality is very good. Yes, I'll yes, give him that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he knows a little bit about skating, but um, he knows a little. Yeah, well, believe it or not. I took him skating and I taught him how to do three turns. Oh. Yeah. He does them a lot better. <laughs> he does them a lot better now. <laughs> well, and I, and one of, one of my favorite skating stories to tell about Jason Brown is that he and I took our junior moves tests on the same day, back to back. We were on the same <gasps> test session and, you know, you both he was all them. of 10 or 11. Yeah. Did you so nail it? he was this teeny tiny little yeah. peanut and yeah. he nailed it. And I did not because I was so bitter, mm -hmm. Kelly. Oh, because oh, no. I, I had a horrible, horrible deadline mm -hmm. that week. I remember yeah. so clearly going into that test session, and I think I had slept eight hours in four days, mm -hmm. and I had to go and power through this moves test. And I remember the first couple moves I did really, really beautifully, and and if, and indeed, when you look at my test score. Yeah, uh, they're all off the charts, right? Like the, yeah. the score is much higher than the average that you're supposed to pass with. And then I looked at my coach and I said, I don't think I have any gas left in the tank. And she said, no, 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 you're fine. And I said, no, really? Like I, I literally have not slept. I've had a deadline. I've been working, you know, cause I was 30 something. Jason was right. 10, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> and I remember the last couple, 
moves of mine just sort of gradually got worse and it had nothing to do with my skill level and everything to do with literally I was out of gas because yeah. I was exhausted working overtime. And, but yeah, he passed and I didn't. And I, I remember being a little bit bitter about that, that the you've been rivals ever since, life. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> been bitter rivals. I know. And he went on to the Olympic runs. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. No, That's but he, every story. time I see him, we always, yeah, we always joke about that every time we see each other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, first, he did a great job at Nationals this year. So his short program oh, is like, yeah. should be put in a museum. It was really, really good. Um, Rohin is a master, though. I've watched it at papers. least five times already. Yeah, that that was, yeah. I loved um, his short program last year. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that, that I think yeah, Rohin did that. Is, he just knows him. And you know what? It's. It's very fresh. Every time he does something for him, I have to think, did Rohin do that? Because Jason has kind of created mm-hmm. his own style now. He's not like mm-hmm. um, Rohin's protege anymore. He is his own, you know? So, um, well, that's that's as much commentary as you're going to get from me. So, <laughs> I, I, no I'm one not in a world can do what he does. Yeah. He's, uh, he was, they were so good. And then the Yellow Brick Road program of Nathan's last year was so I loved it so much the the Beatles John medley John rather yeah um what am I saying the Beatles um that was another Adam plug (laughs) I love talking to people that I know from skating but then I got to know them personally afterward. And, you know, we have something in common yeah. with having kids and being single moms. And so I do love that. But I've known you forever. Like, yes. I have I mean, I've known you from online figure skating just, my gosh, it's probably been 10, 12 years at this point. But I don't think we oh, formally sure. met until right. three, four years ago. Well, you were a celebrity. So. When I met you, um, <laughs> you know, I was just a driver who took their kids to lessons and you were this famous celebrity that started um you were you had this thing called a podcast that nobody thought like oh she mustn't own a camera because podcast in those days back in the old days nobody knew what it was i had when you were doing that i had a blackberry so that's how old i mean it was so um tell us about tell me and our friends here um, about when you started the podcast and the the people that you have interviewed are <laughs> the best of the best. So go. I'm not going to spoil it. You you can explain it better than me. So go ahead. Sure. So what I what I think is hilarious about the fact that I started the podcast so early is I am an infamous late adopter with everything. You know, I drive cars until they die. I never buy the latest iPhone. I, you know, I, I, I use things until they are on their last legs, but the one thing I did very early latch onto was when podcasts were invented, right. which I believe was 2006 was the first podcast. Um, I started mine in 2007. Mm-hmm. And at the time there really weren't any podcasts out there unless you were, um, a major news network, like CNN, I think at the time maybe had one podcast, you know, now they have, you know, every single one of their 
right. uh, celebrities has a podcast, right. you know, same with all of the outlets, MSNBC, NBC, they've got, mm-hmm. you know, between each network, they've probably got a hundred podcasts. Right. And, um, but at the time there was really only a couple, there was a handful, CNN, Washington Post, NPR, and, and a few niche mm-hmm. markets mm-hmm. for enthusiasts uh, like myself who understood how to use the technology mm-hmm. and had something that they wanted to talk about. And at the mm-hmm. time in 2006, when podcasts first appeared on the iTunes store, I found this podcast called Podcast 411, which was basically a podcast about how to do podcasting. It was a, it was a mm-hmm. tutorial. Mm-hmm. And it was run by a guy who's still involved in the podcasting community. And he would interview a different person every week and talk about what equipment they were using and what their podcast was about. And I sat there And thought to myself, well, if I were going to do this, how would I do it? Mm -hmm. And I decided, well, I know a lot about figure skating, obviously. And I knew enough influential people in the sport because I don't want to say famous because not everyone I've interviewed is famous. A lot of them are just behind the scenes influential who, um, because I was a skater and I did tests and Mm -hmm. I um, was a club member and all that, you know, they're all around you, right? Right. You know, clubs and rinks are filled with Mm -hmm. these very influential people who have made their mark in the sport in a various way. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I will interview people. And then the opportunity came up in January of 2007. Mm -hmm. Kurt Browning was guest announcing uh, for U.S. nationals. Mm -hmm. And he was doing commentary on a skater and he was doing it overall very, very well. Like mm-hmm. his commentary was fantastic, but he said one thing that really bothered me. And apparently I wasn't the only one who was bothered. A lot of people were very upset <laughs> by something he said. So I being pushy and aggressive and assertive, I decided to write his webmaster at the time. And I wrote a very diplomatic note that just said, you know, please pass this on to Kurt that I actually thought he was amazing. These are all the things that he did well. But as a listener, if I could just give him some constructive criticism, this one comment you made really rubbed me the wrong way because mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. And believe it or not, within a week, I got an email back from the, e- from the webmaster saying, Kurt would like to speak with you. <gasps> and he really liked your commentary. He, right. he appreciated your feedback. And apparently he had gotten so much feedback through his website that uh, on that comment that was really negative and how dare you and how could you, et cetera, et cetera. But mine was very constructive and made him understand like why. And, and, you know, so he wanted to actually have a phone call with me to talk about it, which I thought was so incredible and so on brand for Kurt Browning, right? Like just, he's such a nice guy. wanted to improve. Yeah. He wants to improve, right? right? And I thought it was incredible that he would just reach out to a random fan to talk about it so he could learn how to improve. And I, I learned the reason he did that was because my letter was the most diplomatic and helpful of the bunch. Right. <laughs> so, right. so I had this phone call with him. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the phone call, uh, he mentioned that he was going to be in Chicago for Stars on Ice mm-hmm. six weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, and would I like backstage passes? And I said, well, of course I would yes. love backstage yes. passes. And then I asked him, I would, I would like to ask you a favor. I want to start this podcast. I need a first guest. Would you be my first guest? And he didn't really know what a podcast was. Mm-hmm. And he's like, sure, you can interview me. So 
I met him at Stars on Ice six weeks later. He agreed to do this podcast. We agreed to another date to do the podcast six weeks after that in March. Mm-hmm. So now at this point, Kelly, I've never done a podcast. Nobody really has. And I have to right. figure out how to do one. And I have six weeks to figure it out. And you have to so, do it with like, I went the world's best skaters in. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to mess this up, right? Yeah. So he's going to get on. noticed. Like so, if you say he's in your right. podcast, people are going to listen. Yeah, right. People are going to listen. You know, four-time world champion, multiple-time mm-hmm. Olympian, so beloved figure of Canada. Yes. So I went straight to the Apple Store. I made an appointment at the Genius Bar, and I said, "I need to figure out how to do this. Teach me how to do it." And amazingly, the guy that I got to help me was a musician who had already figured out how to use the different tracks in GarageBand, how to separate microphones. This Mm -hmm. one's on track A, this one's on track B. They'd already done a lot of that work and they understood how RSS feeds worked so Mm -hmm. that you could actually feed it into iTunes. And the guy, I literally wrote down just step-by-step every single thing that that man told me. And I practiced, I practiced again. And then when it came time to interview Kurt, I was ready and there was my first podcast, but I literally, it was sort of feet to the fire. I, it was an idea that was gelling in my head. Yeah. I get this phone call from Kurt Browning out of the blue. I ask him, he says, yes. And then I'm going, oh my God, I have six weeks. I got to make this happen. And I made it happen. Wow. So, and you know, I don't think people that don't do podcasts <laughs> realize how much that has evolved because now programs um, that formulate your podcast, create the code, you copy the code, you drop it in and it creates that right. feed. What you were actually doing your own coding for back in 2007. So yeah, to a degree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot more, it was certainly a lot less streamlined. The user interfaces between iTunes and my website were, were trickier and Mm -hmm. it's now much more of a click of the button. Um, Mm -hmm. But honestly, the biggest amount of time was just in the editing, the Mm -hmm. research, you know, every, every time I did get to interview a famous skater, you know, um, I would read their books if they had written one. I would watch every interview. I'd watch their skating. And I, you know, it was, it was hours and hours of research. Not that I minded because right. who doesn't, what skating fan doesn't love to watch that stuff. But it took me a while to mm-hmm. do that homework so that it could be a very intelligent interview. I didn't want to do gossipy interviews. I wasn't right. interested in that. I really wanted to understand their, if they understood how they affected skating history, like where right. they saw their place in the sport right and how they helped evolve it forward right well when um i was a i was a big fan of your podcast because i was on the road a lot (laughs) of course and i was waiting a lot um and would remember Mm -hmm. you had downloaded and you probably learned a lot i would imagine i did well you know you would download minutes then if you remember and i would you know, use a lot of my minutes on your podcast, because I would be in the, uh, you know, in the car. (laughs) So um, we I'm sorry, I I felt like I was your friend, you know, and that is that is such a weird thing, because I interviewed um, Jenny Kirk. And I only met her once, Mm -hmm. like briefly, and she was very young girl. And it was like in 2007, or something. um, When she was she was already retired. And um she was there, I, maybe it was even 2006, and she was already retired. And she was at the Tom Collins. Um, you mm-hmm. remember at Nationals, they used to have the Tom Collins party. But I listened to her. Um, she has like a very interesting and very um, motivational um, Instagram feed. 
So she does a lot of like, and she's a therapist now. She does a lot of that um, work. So I follow her on Instagram, mm-hmm. and so much of what she writes about resonates with me. So I said, it's so, it's so hard because I'm interviewing you, and I know I don't know you, but I feel like we grew up yeah. together because I love so much. And yeah. I feel like with you, I feel that way too because um, I remember you actually interviewed Adam too, right? No, I don't think I ever interviewed Adam. With the exception of one, it was always skaters who had already retired. I know I met him at Adult Nationals. Um, okay, maybe that's what I might have interviewed him yeah. for. Sort of, I might have interviewed him for when I attended Nationals in person, and I mean not Adult Nationals, but Big right. Kid Nationals. Okay, um, I would sort of do a roving microphone thing. Yeah. So I might have caught him when I, if I passed him in a hallway and I interviewed him with a roving microphone okay. situation, because okay. I would do that and I would splice them together, and, be, it, and it was basically check out who I just saw randomly in the hallways at adult nationals in this major arena. So I might've grabbed Adam at some point then. Yeah. But I would love to interview Adam. Just, you know. Yeah. Okay. I'll put that out there. (laughs) It's been a real gift and a journey to interview all these people because I really, I did want it to feel intimate and I'm glad that you felt like it was intimate. Like you felt like you were right there sitting with Mm -hmm. us, listening in on the conversation and you Mm -hmm. felt like you knew them because I very much modeled my podcast after Terry Gross, how she does her interviews on fresh air for NPR. Okay. Cause I really love that intimacy where mm-hmm. it's just getting to the heart of things and it's uh, and none of it is sensational and none okay. of it is quick and easy. You, you know, in, in these days of sound bites and, and look, I'm in marketing. So I understand having to grab some attention within five seconds or less. And the website has to load in three seconds or less. And I, I get that you want to grab people uh, however, I do believe the gift of podcasting brings, mm-hmm. it's like sinking into a good book, right? Like the more um, you have to invest in it and it's right. so rewarding, the storyline when you get to the end. Right. And that's what I really appreciate about the medium is that it, it's not an immediate medium. It's immediate in the sense that you can pause it if you need to do something and you can you can hit pause and you can come back to it later. So in that sense, it's very... Um, accessible, but I really appreciate the most about how you can realize that you've been listening to a really fascinating story for about an hour and you don't realize it's been an hour. It makes the time go. Right. And then you've learned so much. And, you know, one of the the shortest podcasts I did was about 35 minutes. And the longest I did, which I still to this day appreciated so much was Carol Heiss Jenkins. She spoke for two hours. She gave me two hours of her time. And that's, an incredible gift. And she, she just told so many stories, but because of the limitations of the medium at the mm-hmm. time, I had to split that up into two episodes because like you said, with your bandwidth, mm-hmm. with your minutes, I, right. I didn't, I understood that people can only download so much. Right. <laughs> right? right. And certainly back then when she did that interview, our phones weren't as powerful as they are right. now. Like now right. you can do a book on audible and it can be nine hours of listening, yeah. but it's, it was not the case at that time. Right. So I had to split it into smaller segments. Pre-cloud, I think, right? It was pre, pre-cloud. Yes, pre-cloud. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, but I really appreciate, that's what I really appreciate about the medium of podcasting is how you can just, you can go as long as you need to, to mm-hmm. get to the end of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no rushing it. Well, a lot of times too, when you, when you are interviewing someone, you do have an outline or you'll work out in a pre-interview where you go. But sometimes 
you know, just like um, something will come into the shot when you're doing a video, you know, a bird will fly yeah. in or a cat will jump up on your lap. <laughs> Sometimes somebody will say something that will take you down like a side path that is so fascinating that you don't even mm. know that it's there. So tell me about an experience yeah. that when you interviewed someone, you planned on, in, you know, talking about their world title or something, but then all of a sudden they told you about a teacher or a woman they met or something, um, something that happened to them that you were, you know, it really made the interview. Wow. Um, that is a great question. Um, I, it is funny when you say that, yes, like things come into frame and, and mm -hmm. all that. And one of the things that just made me giggle when you said that was, I remember when I was interviewing Susie Wynn, who was uh, an American ice dancer, competed uh, in the Olympics in 88 with Joseph Drewer. And she and I were talking and all of a sudden there was this lawnmower going off in the background. <laughs> and right outside her kitchen window, she had invited me to her house and we're having, we're having this incredibly uh, interesting conversation. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the sound of the lawnmower right outside the window. And we paused and I said, why don't we wait until the lawnmower is done? And she goes, well, I think he's going to be here a while. You know, it usually takes him about minutes to do the lawn. Mm -hmm. And, um, but what was incredible was it, it wasn't actually picked up on the mic. Um, mm -hmm. So I just edited out that awkwardness of her and I trying to decide yeah. what to do. Do we change rooms? Yeah. Do we just keep going. Um, so that one just made me giggle, but, but I did edit it out and you can't mm -hmm. hear it. Um, I'm going to be looking for that but, one, you know, in your archives. So I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple times I had to edit things out um, because I am, as I said, I'm not interested in gossip and I'm not interested in sensationalism and I'm not interested in making anyone's life terrible. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of the re reasons why my Rolodex got really big be was because I became very trusted, right? People knew that they could tell me stuff and I had the sense of when to edit and when not to edit. Mm -hmm. And there were plenty of times that people told me off the record about eating disorders mm -hmm. or uh, things that happened behind the scenes. Um, there was one, one person I interviewed outed another person mm -hmm. who had not come out publicly yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just said, well, I can't do that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not gonna, even if you know for a fact that they're out yeah. of the closet, this person hasn't made it public. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to be the one. Yeah. To make it public. That's not our place. So right? I, I have to be, res that's, it's not my, yeah. I wanted to be respectful of other mm -hmm. people's, you know, their, their space, their, and their ownership of those right. things. Right. So, so there were, there were times where I just had to make decisions like that, where I had to um, be very judicial in what I kept in. It was pretty rare though, I would say. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you're right. I did have a list of questions prepared in advance. Mm -hmm. I'm very good at being nimble on my feet with these mm -hmm. interviews. It's one of the skills that I acquired that I was I was good at leading the conversation, mm -hmm. right? So um, I will say that Kurt Browning actually surprised me probably the most. It's the one that sticks out the most when you ask me that question about, was there anything that really surprised you? Well, they say they tough never forget again, your first, right? Right. right. <laughs> you never forget your and first. Was, and you never forget your first. And what was what was tricky about it, Kelly, was the mm -hmm. fact that, again, since it was my first and I, in, and I had never done this before, right. I had to think real fast. So 
Anyone who's listened to my podcast knows that the very first question I ask everybody is the same icebreaker, Mm -hmm. which is what is your most embarrassing on ice or off ice moment? Mm -hmm. Something related to figure skating, what's the most embarrassing thing? And the reason I asked that question was because I know a lot of these elite, elite athletes, you know, they don't like to admit their mistakes. They, Mm -hmm. you know, they strive for perfection Mm -hmm. and, but we're all here human. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring that humanity back right. into it, like right from the beginning. Right. And it was a good way to start. And here I was silly me thinking that Kurt Browning, as we all know, is one of the most hilarious people right. on the planet. Comedy. Yeah. He is. Oh, he's funny, funny, funny. So I thought naively going in and asking this question that when I said, what's your most embarrassing on ice or off ice moment that Mm -hmm. he would give me some crazy story that I couldn't even imagine that was going to be keeping me in stitches. And instead he went for the jugular (laughs) and he said, well, I think it has to be when I was skating in my second Olympics and I fell right on the Olympic rings painted on the arena. And I just knew the Olympic medal was out of my grasp. And I just thought, Oh boy. <laughs> like I just, I, my very first interview and my very first question, and I took this man to the darkest place he could yeah. possibly go. Oh and I just thought, how do I recover? I right. Recover, like how does one yeah. recover? So I, I sort of sheepishly said, I don't even know what I said to be honest, but I did recover. And the rest of the interview was much more light and much more upbeat, but yeah. it was a hell of a way to start. I'm going to admit. Yeah. And I just thought, man, that's a tough thing. So that I will say was sort of the toughest, the, the one that was the most unexpected for me, yeah. but I got some great stories when I asked that question. I asked, um, I remember Amy Hughes's story was hilarious. She's the mother of Sarah and Emily Hughes. Right. And at the time when Sarah was still competing at sectionals, she was not yet um, the elite skater that she would become. Amy was going through uh, radiation and chemo right. for cancer. Right. And she had gotten, she had, she wanted to look very nice for Sarah in the stand so that when Sarah spotted her, she looked mm-hmm. great, you know, mm-hmm. but she had no hair at the time. Mm-hmm. So she went and got a wig and she mm-hmm. had it professionally styled, mm-hmm. but the stylist styled it backwards and didn't know that she styled it backwards. And mm-hmm. so Amy had to make this tough choice. Like, do I wear this wig backwards? Or do I put it on the right way? And then it looks bizarre. I just thought that was such mm-hmm. a, a great story when she just said, so poor Sarah is like coming around the corner and sees me in the stands <laughs> and I have this wacky wig on my head. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I got some amazing stories, lots of wardrobe malfunctions, um, yeah. so many wardrobe malfunctions, but yeah. So it, I, those were, I think, the most interesting when, when people gave me those moments of humanity where they let their guard down from the beginning. And then also um, some of the stuff they told me off mic, which I've still kept totally in the chest because that's where it was intended to stay. (laughs) Yes. No, I, you know, sometimes skating parents and skaters, when you're saying about like Amy Hughes, um, there's just such a tight group of people that can honestly understand what you're going through. Because you cannot explain to your friend mm-hmm. um, whose child is taking karate lessons that, you know, your equipment, ice, choreography, bills, etc., are going to be like $15,000 or $12,000 that month for a month. And people look like, right. 
you are an insane person. But skating parents understand that uh, for me, it was always August was the big month, you know, because that's when choreography Mm -hmm. bills are due and usually club fees going into the season are due and new equipment to break in boots, etc. So August was always a really um, month that only other skating parents understand. So I can, uh, I can see how they would um, when you have someone else's ear, that's a normal working person, you know, um, <laughs> to try and relay that kind of slice of their life. Now, how have you integrated it all? Like to interview these people, this is all you living your passion. And I think that that's what's so exciting about interviewing mm-hmm. you today. Because at six years old, you're introduced to this love of skating. And then you've kept it as a passion, but yet you have gone on to, you know, study school and studied very technical things and applied them into a very um, high-level professional position that you have now in a major city um, and balanced family life, you know, with your children and um, all of the demands of the pandemic. Like, how have you kept your passion alive? Uh, I swear it's through sheer force of will. I I sometimes think um, I'm thankfully not someone who I feel like until recently, really until COVID, who needed a lot of sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always done very well on six hours of sleep, which gains Mm -hmm. me an extra two hours every day, more Mm -hmm. than most people. Um, But a lot of it is just, I would say that I had very disciplined parents and I learned a lot from them. And these, these two people, my parents were absolutely busy, involved and um, just constantly never at rest. They were always doing something involved in something, making something happen in very different ways. You know, my father was an ophthalmologist. My mother was actually a at, the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was on all these committees. He was all on all of these medical committees. Um, they, they, he wrote books, you know, medical books, and she organized major shows. And it was really watching them that I learned how to organize. And what's fascinating, Kelly, is that I've, I've read your book. I've listened, mm-hmm. I actually listened to it on Audible. Mm-hmm. And I was giggling to myself about the part when you said, well, I, you know, everyone had a chore. I made sure my kids all had their chores Mm -hmm. and they had to do all these things. And I was giggling to myself because I I, believe it or not, I grew up having no chores to do. I was not given chores (laughs) and that should theoretically mean that I'm completely disorganized and undisciplined and entitled and all those things. Um, We had a housekeeper, not full-time, but we had a Mm part-time housekeeper Mm -hmm. who came over and helped my mother with the chores. I never learned how to fold laundry until college. I never learned how to cook anything until college. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother was a fabulous cook and somehow it just did not absorb in me. But what was interesting was that later in life, I realized what my mother was doing was not, she wasn't trying to not teach me how to do chores. It's just mm-hmm. that she knew what her strengths were and she mm-hmm. outsourced. Mm-hmm. Because she was incredibly organized and she was incredibly disciplined and she did all these other things, but she outsourced the stuff that she 
um, was not interested in doing so she could do all these other things mm-hmm. and she could afford to do that. Let's be right. fair. You know, right. um, not everyone can do that, you know? Right. So, but I have, I, I realized, you know, my father got up every single morning at 5am, you know, and he was scrubbed in mm-hmm. by seven and mm-hmm. was doing surgeries and, and he was working on the weekends. I mean, this man worked, worked, worked literally almost until the day he passed away. And, um, so I realized that I did pick up that, that organization and that discipline. It just wasn't in that traditional way of chores, you know, right. like the way you give kids chores, Right. it was a very different way. My, my mother was my father for all of his hard, hard work. Wasn't the most disorganized person you've ever met. Oh mm-hmm. my God. But my mother was completely the opposite and mm-hmm. she ran a very tight ship and she, the lists that she kept and the notes and the receipts. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was all organized and, um, I, I can't even, I mean, I could explain it to you, but it, it was just especially fascinating when she passed away and we were looking for things to really appreciate how organized she was, right. um, to the point where the estate lawyer actually said she'd never seen anything like it, you know, oh, it made wow. things so much easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I did manage to absorb it somehow. And so, right. um, that the discipline, I think that came with skating, I think the discipline that came with just watching my parents, how they operated. Um, I was always a very good student. I was certainly no rule breaker in middle school and high school. I really wanted to get good grades. I mm-hmm. went to a good school. I didn't screw around in college. And right. um, I, I was a bit of a goody two-shoes, let's mm-hmm. just be fair. <laughs> and um Yeah. And then I was just determined. I made goals for myself really early on that by the age of 30, I was going to do this. And by the age of 40, I was going to do this. And, Mm -hmm. and some of those goals got accomplished Mm -hmm. and some, some of them didn't. Mm -hmm. And I did learn that when I accomplished some of the goals that that was no longer an interesting goal, like the goal that I'd set for myself at 16, by the time Mm -hmm. I was 30, okay, what next? You know, like that might not, you know, things change from between 16 and 30. So Um, but the thread that has been constant for me, Mm -hmm. I will say is that, um, I'm definitely, I know you'll argue this with me, but Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. I I am someone who is, because your brain is listening. (laughs) (laughs) My brain is listening, but I am someone who, and it's a blessing and a curse, right? Mm -hmm. I am blessed with being very good at a lot of things, but not a master at anything. And it's, it has, how that has translated into my career, however, is that I'm a fantastic generalist. And when it comes mm-hmm. to marketing, marketing is one of those broad terms, yes. right? Yes. There's so many types of marketing. There's content yes. market. there's email, there's ad marketing, there's specific types of ads. Are you right. a Facebook buyer? Are you a Twitter person? Are you right. this? Are you a social media person? Um, there, there's definitely ways you can specialize within mm-hmm. marketing. Mm-hmm. I am a generalist and I know a lot about each one of those individual disciplines, right. SEO, social media, content, websites, et cetera, et cetera, that I'm like the conductor of the orchestra. Right. I bring all the different instruments together and I make it work. Right. And that's so um, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm someone who, because I do have a very broad um, sense of knowledge mm-hmm. that I'm able to tie it together and make it work for my agency. But it's been a thread that's been consistent through my life. Um, I 
was a good skater. Never was going to be a great skater because of the hip, but I was good. And then Mm -hmm. I became a good equestrian when I decided to try that. And I was good at my sports in high school and I was a good artist and I was a this and a good that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but it, and while I never have become a specialist in anything, Mm -hmm. I think it's made a very interesting life for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I blew glass for years, Mm -hmm. which is something that skating people Mm -hmm. don't even necessarily know, like, you know, and there have been many jokes made on my behalf about fire and ice and blades Mm -hmm. glory and all that, you know, like, wait, you blow glass and you ice skate. How do you reconcile the two? I live three hours. Yes. Corning. Corning. Your headquarters. And I took many classes there. Oh, did you? Okay. (laughs) I I did. I I spent many summers there taking classes. It's a magical place. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I did that for a long time. I have a house full of glass that I've either blown or created, or I have gotten as a demo from an instructor or traded with someone. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very dangerous thing to have in a Mm -hmm. house with three cats and two boys, Mm -hmm. but glass is also supposed to break. That's, you know, it is breakable and you, that comes with territory and you have to accept it. And mm-hmm. Well, you're so, used to being on the edge, yeah. right? You live on the edge, no matter what, whether it's on the ice or in your house. Or- <laughs> right. Or in front of a furnace, you know, getting burned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So but yeah, um, I, I, I believe in acceptable risk. I'm very mm-hmm. much someone who likes taking risks within acceptable limits. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find me free scaling, you know, the side of any mountain, but I do like to take some risks. Well, I'm going to take the um, the privilege of asking you, instead of saying, I'm a jack of many, a master at none. You know what you are a master at? You are a master mm-hmm. learner. I am a master learner. I okay, love so to learn. so you are a master. And what's interesting... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and what's what's interesting is that I did, I did write a book and the thread, one of the threads that goes through it is the frustration of not being a master. And the book is actually called Jack No Master. Mm -hmm. That's the title, the working title. But yes, I do love to learn. And I've actually been considering going back to school Mm -hmm. for any number of things, because I do have such disparate interests that I honestly could see myself going to get an MBA to further marketing. I could also completely throw that to the wayside and be a physician's assistant. I was always mm-hmm. very good at science and mm-hmm. I would love to um, go into medicine in mm-hmm. some degree. Um, I, I also at one point had my real estate license, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I took the classes and I got licensed and I never did anything with it, but I, I'm just someone who very much does love to learn. Yes. You know, I was, um, I had an eclectic back backstory. And I had a friend that said to me, um, how many letters do you need to collect after your name? Like, when are you going to be able to just utilize what you have, instead of collecting? Mm -hmm. And, but I mean, you definitely have utilized so much because of, um, you know, I've seen some of your professional work, and then all of your quote unquote craft work with the podcasts and some of the (laughs) side, you know, the interviews and the written work that you have done um, is, uh, and of course, snippets of your book that I was lucky enough to, um, to see. Um, yeah, you, you are far more than a jack at all trades. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. 
But so you, with skating, as we say, you know, you, it was the th- thread that connected you. And for me sitting here and just listening to this objectively, I really see it as like a recharger. It wasn't, you know, it's, it mm-hmm. was kind of like that best friend or like that cuddly toy, like your blankie, that it just gives you like that, that security, you know, does it give you that affirmation yeah. or reaffirm like your safety? Um, I don't know if it's uh, safety as much as it's more calm. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, um, I to me, it's therapeutic. Yeah. Um, there is I love, love, love to work out. I do. Mm-hmm. And there. And I think part of it is going back to when I was born. I I have lived my entire life really knowing how close I came to not being able to walk if surgeries hadn't worked out properly. And that has made me appreciate very, very deeply the fact that I'm able to move the way I can move. Wow. And I am never... I am never going to be the most graceful person. I have a very funky walk because of the way my hips are. And nobody notices it unless I point it out. So everyone listening is now going to look at me from behind yeah. as I walk down the street. Now they're going to catch it because they're going to look for it. Um, I used to get teased a lot when I was a kid for my walk. Yeah. And, and I've worked very hard on hiding it. And it's so when you have that vision mm-hmm. and that glimpse into what could have been, like this could have been my life. Yeah. It could have yeah. been like this. It really makes you appreciate um, what you do have. Right. And what I do have is, okay, I have an ugly axle, but I've got an axle it's there and I can do it and I can spin and I can do all these things. And I might not be able to stretch my legs out as straight as I'd like Mm -hmm. to, but I can still do it. And Mm -hmm. it's, um, so I very, I think more than anything, I just recognize, um, and appreciate how, how grateful I am that I can, Mm -hmm. that I can. Mm -hmm. And so every time I step on the ice, it's just gratitude. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I have frustrating days like everyone else does, right? Mm -hmm. There are some days when I skate and I can't do something because I do push myself and I'm, you know, I'm 49 years old. Mm -hmm. I used to have very consistent doubles. Now they're sort of hit or miss at -hmm. best. And that frustrates me that I can't mm-hmm. do them the way I used to be able to do them. And part of that is actually due to the aging hips. Um, mm-hmm. But the days I hit them, man, like mm-hmm. those are great days. You know, mm-hmm. those are just great days. And and I still love every time I hear a piece of music and mm-hmm. I think to myself, oh, I'd love to skate to that. Like mm-hmm. that's still in my head, right? right. Oh, I, that, I, how would I interpret that on ice? And um, And it does actually weave into my job because one of the things that I, the, the hips thing, I will say is that I'm very much into accessibility Mm -hmm. issues um, because I was almost in a wheelchair. Right. Right. And so when it comes, when it comes to web accessibility in particular, that's something, that's something for me that is a very big deal. And I'm thankfully, I work with a team of people who are also as committed to it as uh, the rest of the world should be and are pushing the rest of the world that way. And so that's one of the other things that did come out of uh, me being born disabled, but being Mm -hmm. no longer disabled Mm -hmm. is that um, I just have a real appreciation of wanting to make sure that those who are disabled are able to access the things they need to access. That perspective. So it's a perspective, right. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, 
I dodged a bullet, you know, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. I very much dodged a bullet. And there are more bullets to come because mm-hmm. as we get older and are, you know, we break an arm, that's a temporary mm-hmm. disability, or you mm-hmm. lose, you know, your vision goes or mm-hmm. your hearing goes or mm-hmm. something, you know, we're all going to get more disabled the older that we get. So I, I definitely have a perspective on it. And <laughs> I know you don't want to hear that, Kelly, but I'm sorry, it's coming. <laughs> My brain is listening. It's don't coming. tell me anymore. No, no. <laughs> Would bring I'm, uh, us, I'm, but don't worry because mm-hmm. we're preparing you. We're, yeah. you know, we're, oh. we're building a better web. It's so yeah, it's so good for. Thank you. Um, <laughs> take me and everyone into the world of adult figure mm-hmm. skating. What is oh, yeah. it? Is it different than what you say, like regular U.S. <laughs> nationals, like the younger version? What is different about adult figure skating? Can I tell you how it's different by using a story about your son, Adam? Yes. (laughs) So this is, I love this. So back, oh gosh, I don't remember exactly what year, but it must've been at least 10 years. Um, Adam was still an up and coming senior man Mm -hmm. and they held adult nationals at the, I believe it's the Coyote Ice Den in Scottsdale is Mm -hmm. the name of it. Mm -hmm. Whatever the ice den is named Scottsdale. And Doug Rosano was a coach there, very good friends with Adam and Adam invited him to come. And I'm sure someone else invited Adam to come because they wanted, um, it's always a treat for the adult skaters when the elite Mm -hmm. skaters come and give out the awards, right? And they come and support the adult skaters, whether it's just there to sign autographs. Nathan Chen came one year recently to sign autographs at adult nationals when it was in Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's always a real treat for us when the elite skaters show up, you know, because they're rock stars to us. We love it. Mm -hmm. So Adam and Doug were there and I took a picture with them, which I still love to this day because I was in the middle of these two cute boys and I called it my cute boy sandwich photo. And I I still love that picture. And we were also talking with Doug Mattis, the four of us, Doug Mattis, Doug Rosano, Adam and myself. And we were having this chat and Adam, like the three of us are having this chat and Adam the whole time is looking around completely bewildered and perplexed at what he is seeing. Mm -hmm. Like he's not quite processing what's happening. Right. And, and he's seeing these adults on practice ice, like practicing their double, double combos and their level three spins Mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. And he's just taking it all in. And then someone comes down the hallway dressed as a banana and he's Mm -hmm. kind of taking it all in, you know, because this is adult skating, right? It's a mix. And I said, are you okay, Adam? Like, what's going on there? And he's like, this is my first adult competition and it's Mm -hmm. just not what I expected. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I just knew Kelly, what he was Mm -hmm. thinking in his brain. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but he was trying, God love him. He was trying so hard to be diplomatic. He didn't want to insult anybody, right? Mm -hmm. So he was trying really hard to be diplomatic and he doesn't. And I said, well, what did you expect? And he's like, Um, and he's struggling to find the words and Adam doesn't usually struggle for words. Right. And he is struggling to find the words. And he's, so I, I gave him an out and I said, you thought it was going to be a bunch of really obese women stuffing themselves in spandex, attempting to stroke down the ice. Didn't you? And he kind of looked really sheepishly for a second. And he turned Mm -hmm. to me and goes, well, yeah, like like that's what he was expecting. He didn't expect that it would be athletic, what it was, which was very athletic and very competitive. And even at the lower levels, there are many people who come back to adult skating Mm -hmm. 
there are people who started as adults. There's everything in between. In mm-hmm. it, and what's beautiful about adult skating is that it's accommodating to all of those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, many, many levels. Um, there's room for everybody in the sense that if you want to be competitive, there's something for that. If you want to just be more artistic, there are events for that. If you want to use props, hence the banana costume, right? Mm-hmm. There are events for that. They really, you know, there's dance, there's pairs, there's singles. Um, it, it's very much an inclusive event in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, it could it be more inclusive always, but it's also inclusive to the elite skaters. There are mm-hmm. some elite skaters. The rule is, is that as long as they're not competing in the discipline for which they are elite, they are allowed mm-hmm. to come compete at adult nationals. So there have been times where, um, you know, as, as a woman and as an older woman in figure skating, I will tell you, there are not a lot of older men to skate with there are, it's hard to find a partner. And so what has happened is that, um, sometimes it's usually the women, although it has sometimes happened, um, that there've been men as well mm-hmm. who find elite partners that they can partner with because they really want to do dance. Right. Mm-hmm. And they will find an elite skater who's willing to do it with them. And it's wonderful. It's mm-hmm. wonderful to see, you know, an elite skater who's going to be competing at senior men's, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he's doing silver level dance mm-hmm. to help an, a fellow adult skater who just really loves to skate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's, um, so we have a little bit of everything and it's a, a really wonderful community. So going back to Adam in that conversation, mm-hmm. He was so surprised also at how friendly everyone was. You know, he, he just said, you know, it wasn't like competitions he was used to where some of the skaters just really wouldn't talk to you. They wanted mm-hmm. to be in their focus zone. You know, sometimes the, the parents were not so nice. Sometimes the coaches were not so nice, you know, and, and it was a stressful environment. And he walked into this rink full of adult skaters who are, whose costumes cost just as much as any elite skaters costume. Yeah, right? right. And who are wearing, who are wearing the same expensive brand of skates who are working just as hard. And all of them are friendly, patting each other on the back, supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he just said the atmosphere was so different and mm-hmm. he really, I think it left an impression on him um, because he just seemed, I just loved looking at his face being so bewildered by it all, but also just, impressed by it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that to me is, is one of the great things about adult skating is that I did my very first adult nationals in 1998 when at the first adult nationals, which if memory serves was 95, um, was the very first one. I was too young mm-hmm. at the time. The minimum age 26? was 25. I was not that, yet. You have to be 20. I, I was 25 or 26. And mm-hmm. Now it's 21. Oh, They've okay. lowered the, the age to 20. Okay. But at the time it was 25 or 26. And at the time I was too young. And mm-hmm. um, so my first one was 1998. And I just remember I was skating alone in a rink, the only adult skater at my rink mm-hmm. at the time. And people were sort of looking at me funny. Kids were looking at me funny. What is she doing out there? You know, all that. And I remember flying to Oakland, California for my very first adult nationals and walking in and seeing a hundred other people just like me, mm-hmm. like other adults and just being like blown away, you know, mm-hmm. that there were that many skaters. And that was only 
at that time, that practice, right? There were like a hundred people in the rink. Of course, there were 500 or so people total who were at the, the event. Right. But honest to God, some of my closest people, I met those first years of me doing adult skating as mm-hmm. an adult right. and rekindled some friendships with people I had been friends with when I was a kid, first trying to not get in Scott Hamilton's way back right. in 1980 or whatever year it was Yeah, as, as he's training for the Olympics. So it, I rekindled some old friendships and I met some amazing new people and they are some of the most passionate, interesting, diverse group of people I've ever met. Wow. You know, it's a real, it's a real family. Like, I just feel like, I feel like I could, if I needed help from anyone, the skating community would be the first people to back me up 100%. You know, there is a, and it's so nice because you've never gone through that retirement. I, somebody had braced yeah. me when Adam <laughs> retired um, they contact, and you would think like, you know, he had almost a 20 year run with skating, um, mm-hmm. that I would be ready for that retirement as well, you know? Um, and I'll tell you, I was very grateful that he was not competing when I saw the last two years of nationals, <laughs> you know, that I'm so glad that he's not in it. Cause I can, I, you know, those people are still my friends and I see the stress sitting on the, and I feel like, wow, I remember that tension. I'm so glad that I don't experience that. But um, it it is a kind of like a, um, those people that you meet, because it's such a particular specialized moment in your life that you connect to, like that belongingness. And they get it. You know, like it's the square peg in the square, you know, hole. Mm-hmm. You're all squares. You know, and here are all my squares, and we and, all right. Get... And it's a very unique set of stressors as yes. well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're competing and you are just trying to do your best, and Shostakovich here is going to say hello. Mm-hmm. Um, he's my, my kitty cat in the mm-hmm. background. It's you're right that there's just an inherent understanding mm-hmm. that you have of the environment that you're in. There's no explanations needed. There's no having to justify anything they they just get it they absolutely do and that's that's I like to call finding your tribe right Mm -hmm. like that's when you know you've found your tribe right because um you just feel like you belong there and you you don't need to explain or justify or uh anything right and I do feel very much like um skating is my tribe Mm -hmm. and you're right that it never does end because there's so many ways you can be involved because I have considered when I'm going to retire, you know, there is a point where I don't think I want to do this anymore. I've been literally competing since 1998, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably longer than Adam mm-hmm. was, but I never leave the sport entirely. You know, I've considered being an announcer and mm-hmm. going through the training for that. I've considered being a judge. I've considered mm-hmm. um, so many possibilities, mm-hmm. you know, reviving the podcast because mm-hmm. there's so many people that I still have yet to interview Right. Um, so there's so many ways to be around the sport, support the sport, um, support the sport. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Develop the sport. And um, that's not necessarily competitive skating. Right. 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 Or use the, you know, use your actual skills in media to explain mm-hmm. the sport to people. 
Because what, it, mm-hmm. what are we in the second decade of the quote unquote new judging system? And I, I, <laughs> That's no longer. I new. mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not new. You know, since two thousand two. Yeah, is that right? So um, I think so. Right? It was after Salt Lake that they. Yeah, it was started. after Salt Lake. Yes, mm-hmm. two thousand two. And then, because mm-hmm. Adam came up in six and then. I think his first nationals with the new si- new system was 2005. So um, yeah. for the 2006 yeah. Olympics, they had the 10.0 system versus the old six. So it's and, been around. And you know what's really fun for me? It's been around. And, and I think what's really fun for me is that when I was watching nationals just a few nights ago, mm-hmm. you know, I'm judged at the same level that – the elite skaters are right. So here I am watching a skater doing their choreographic step sequence. And I turned to my boyfriend who knows nothing about skating. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a baseball person. And I turned to him and I said, I have to do that too. In my program, I have mm-hmm. to do a choreographic step sequence. I have to do a level three spin. Yeah. I've, you know, <laughs> so features. it's yeah. fun. I can't do a triple yeah. or a quad yeah. of course, but there are certain things when I'm like, Oh, I have yeah. to do that too. Yeah. So it really is. It's kind of a trip. Well, it's so, um, so glad that you you took us into the world of adult skating and uh you know showing us that that family and that sense of belonging no matter what we do you know whether it's an activity or a club or something it's it gives us like you say it's your therapy plus it you know therapy recharges you because it kind of you know exfoliates everything that doesn't belong in our head you know it gives us that sense of well familiar. yeah mm-hmm yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting that, um, I mean, here we are in adult skating. Some of my friends, you know, are doctors, some are lawyers. We've got, uh, you know, professional artists, photographers. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it runs the mm-hmm. gamut who is doing this. Right. But when we all show up with our skates, mm-hmm. with our music, um, all that floats away. And it's not that it isn't important, right? It's just that it's the escape that we have. Like we have this bonding over this sport that um, none of us are ever going to be Olympians and that's 100% fine. Right. And it's not what it's about. It's Mm -hmm. it's about just improving yourself and pushing yourself a little harder and enjoying it. And, Mm -hmm. and I kind of love the fact that I don't know what the majority of my adult skating peers do for a living because it's more important to me that when we all come together in an arena, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, you mm-hmm. know, like it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we can just enjoy the sport for what it is. Mm-hmm. But again, I think what is fascinating too, is that since we are such a diverse group coming from such diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. and, and doing so many things in our careers, it, it really is a powerful network. Right. Right. It's a very powerful network of people with, you know, I know who to call if I need advice on anesthesiology and I know Mm -hmm. who to call if I need advice on this. And, you know, I've got different people I can um, pull from who are all from the skating world that know me. Right. Yeah. And and it's all because we have this common element. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's very um, disarming because they know you at your very best and at your very worst. They see you at your most vulnerable and they see you also at your most, you know, accomplished moments that you're so satisfied with. So it's, you know, they're relationships that truly attach firmly. Yes. 
That is so true. And I'm glad you pointed that out because yes, um, we have all had that bad skate. <laughs> Some mm-hmm. of us have had more than one. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, it's so true because they really do see you when you are just crushed, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you've done something and you're, you know, you are just crushed. And then they've seen you when you are over the moon and yeah, it, it really does run the gamut of emotions and, um, and they're riding it right there with you because mm-hmm. they've been there every right. single one of them. Yeah. And then that, that's yeah. so nice. And there's very little judgment. That's right. Because they're at a level of maturity yeah. that they can honestly root for you. They want what you yeah. want, but they what they really want is to be better than they were before, you know? And, you know, that's why, believe it or not, that's, that's right there is why I don't get more nervous in front of a judging panel mm-hmm. is because um, I have been able to convince myself, right. I think, correctly <laughs> that the judges want you to do well yes. as well because the judges hate watching a program that's falling apart. They can't right. stand it. Like they, right. it, it, it hurts them too. A lot yes. of them have been there. Like that's not what they want to judge. Right. So the judges are also rooting for you. Yes. They want you to succeed. Yes. I don't think there's anyone on that panel. When I, when I go out there all by myself mm-hmm. and it's, it's just me against the judges. Right. I don't, I don't feel like it's me against the judges. I no. feel like, okay, it's time to take them on the ride with me yes. because they want, they want to be on the ride with mm-hmm. me. And that's one of the things that's really helped me um, with uh, my competitive skating and be as successful as I have been. Because I feel like even with my limitations, I've been pretty successful. Mm -hmm. But it's also helped me at work because when I have to give a presentation, Mm -hmm. again, I am not sitting in front of a room of 100 people and it's me Mm -hmm. in front of my screen and my presentation. There is not one person in that room who's like, give me crap. I want to see crap. Right. Right. I hope this is the worst presentation I've ever seen. (laughs) You know, they want it to be good. Yes. So I I don't feel when I'm standing in front of a room full of people and I have to present myself that the audience is against me. I always feel like, all right, it's my turn to take you on this journey because I know that you were on another journey in some other conference room somewhere else. And, you know, lunch is not for 40 more minutes. So I have to take you along on this ride to get you to lunch. And um, so I I very much think that translates from skating to life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really don't feel like most people go through life wanting you to fail. You know, That's they right. just, they, they want you to do well. Right. So. That's my philosophy with my children. Um, I have always <laughs> taught them to, to think that the world is on your side. And that is an affirmation yeah. that I say to myself, the world is rooting for me. The yeah. world is on my side. So. Right. Right. So you are living your very side, wise. You have a very, <laughs> very wise uh, outlook, a very good perspective. And, um, and it's so nice to see that something you started at six, you know, has carried through mm-hmm. for decades later, that you are still using it, you know, as your well to like cleanse the bad yeah. and, and nurture you to grow the good. So that's really good to hear. Yeah. It's a lifelong. And, I, and what I like about it, Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely is, and I think, and I think um, how it really helps me in my life as well is that um, skating is a vocabulary, right? Mm. You have to learn the alphabet 
before you can write words, right? And then you have to learn to write words before you can make sentences and you have to put sentences together before you can write a book, right? Yeah. So to me, skating, like learning those basics, those are my letters. Those, yeah. That's my alphabet. And then as I build on that skill and I'm like, okay, now I know a three turn. Now I know how to do yeah. a three turn into a sow cow. Now I know how to build that three turn into yes. a sow cow, into a double, right? Mm-hmm. It's all those little you know, start with this, the vocabulary letters, build them up, up, up into a bigger whole. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I approach a, my life, right? right? Because if I think of a goal, if I have a goal, you know, mm-hmm. I am going to write the great American novel, mm-hmm. like that's daunting. But if you break it down to the small pieces, you know, I'm going to start like, today, I'm going to write 500 words, mm-hmm. you know, tomorrow, I'll write 500 more tomorrow, I'll write mm-hmm. 500 more the next day, I'll give myself a break, whatever. And if you break it down into the smaller vocabulary pieces, mm-hmm. it's so much more manageable. Yeah. And and then you get there, you know, and it's and I know that elite skaters know this incredibly well because it's just those, it's not, it's not the final event, right? It's all those little moments that yeah, led up right. to it, all those touch points, all that training that led mm-hmm. up to that final four minutes in front of the judging panel. Um, it's all the vocabulary that they built mm-hmm. over all that time. Mm-hmm. And so I try to, even when I just look at my week, like, oh God, what do I have to accomplish this week? My boss wants all this at the end of the week. How am I going to get there? And I have to break it down. And, and she, and she does the same thing. Right. And she is not a skater. She learned this from a completely different method, Mm -hmm. but we always talk about if you break it down into the smaller pieces, what's, what is a, a manageable task that you can Mm -hmm. accomplish today that gets us that much further tomorrow. Right. Right. And so we just, and all of us as a team, the way our management team works is that we all operate this way so that we all end up at the end of the week, we've accomplished mm-hmm. X and it's very effective. And, um, and I do think that skating really teaches that incredibly well. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and I would say all sports, right. That's right. not exclusive to skating, but no, but it's what you frame skating in particular. You frame your experience through it's how I, so, frame yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for t- one taking us into the world of skating from the age of six through adult competition, and really how many life skills beyond the rink that you have integrated into your success, you know, in media and in carrying your passion and making it accessible to other people. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of yours, as you've known. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. And I'm really, I, I'm really, you know, excited to, to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us how we can find the archives of your podcast. So I am currently, I, I l- literally just over the holiday break moved my old website which was horribly outdated, which is a Mm -hmm. complete case of cobbler's kids having no shoes because Mm -hmm. as someone who works in marketing with some of the best web designers and developers in the world, my own website was in bad, bad shape. Right. And um, I finally just moved it over the break to a new hosting provider. And um, I'm still struggling with getting the uh, podcasts up and it's Mm -hmm. not a lack of skill as much as Mm -hmm. it's just a lack of time. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way to find it is manlywoman.com mm-hmm. and all of the 82, I think, episodes, all the 82 interviews that I did over seven or eight years are there. Mm-hmm. I will keep them up in perpetuity because they are thankfully very evergreen. Mm-hmm. And um, they have, uh, what's been really rewarding is how useful they've become mm-hmm. for other people to use as research. 
Okay. Um, I've been quoted in People magazine. I've been quoted in Skating magazine. Yeah. You know. No, um, I've seen so that's, that. That's, that's why I thought you really... were with Adam. That's why yeah. I thought um, there was a quote <laughs> I saw. But I think it's the story of going to um, Adult Nationals because yeah, yeah. I love that story yeah. just because Adam was Adam was so bewildered, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. so it was so genuine. Like he just was stunned yeah. at how it was. He was and he and it was really sweet how he was trying not to be insulting, right? Because right. he really had such a different vision of adult skating in his head than than yeah. what it was. Well, I think and he, I think his uh, vision I was hope anyway he that he appreciates at our local rink. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. They were like people that okay. decided they wanted to learn how to skate when they were like forty. They never like they were taking. Which, believe it or not, skate. you still can though. Right, right. <laughs> but but I think do, that's what he do have. People. He was shocked yeah. that people were doing quality jumps and camel spins, and yes. you know, not just like two revolution kind of squat ish sit spins. Like that's what he saw yeah. at our rink. Yeah, so. People of yes. my caliber, but I, but I definitely, <laughs> but I, I really do want to stress that people can start at forty yeah. and yes. really be very good. You know, yeah. like it's or just 50. it's like anything else. If of course or fifty yeah. or sixty, right? I yeah. mean, um, I one of my favorite things was um, several years ago. I remember a woman telling me, and I wish I could remember which which skater it was, but I can't. Mm-hmm. But I remember her telling me that she started skating much later in life, past her 60s, because she was born before Title IX came into law. Right. And she was not allowed. She was not allowed as mm-hmm. a child. It was not encouraged. You know, her parents wouldn't let her skate because it wasn't something you did. Mm-hmm. And because skating had only been televised really starting in 1960, with Carol mm-hmm. Heiss and then Peggy Fleming mm-hmm. after her, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, the 60 Olympics were the first ones that were televised. It wasn't something in her household that she had exposure to and, and right. didn't know that it was okay to be an athletic right. woman, you know, right, right. a young woman. And so she, she picked it up way later in life because she mm-hmm. said, you know what, I've always wanted to do this and now I have the means and the time. Right. And, and I thought that was absolutely magnificent that she, mm-hmm. She said, you know what? I was held back all these years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's lifelong. You can do it, you know, on a vacation and um, after a Hallmark movie. Yeah. I mean, there's you could do it on a pond. You could do it in a, in an, a temperature-controlled rink. So it's not something that you have to bundle up for, you know, so. But one of my – one of my – one of the biggest gifts I'll say skating mm-hmm. has given me is that I can literally travel anywhere and bring a pair of ice skates and find mm-hmm. a rink. Mm-hmm. And typically, if mm-hmm. I do that, any mm-hmm. city I go to, I can't tell you how many conferences I've had to fly to for work or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I bring my skates and I find the local rink. And inevitably, there's another adult skater there, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. That mm-hmm. didn't used to be the case, right? Right. Now they are. Now we are ever taking over. Mm-hmm. And um but it's wonderful that you can just sort of make that connection right away. Right. Adult skaters love to see another adult skater. You yeah, know? we do. We all crave belonging. <laughs> we all crave it. Well, right. thank you so much right. for today. And let's pray that our world becomes safer and less COVID-y and less crazy. I very much look forward to the day when this is all uh, COVID is all behind us and I can actually give you a hug in person. That will be a very nice day. (laughs) And we can actually go somewhere inside and have a glass of wine together. We can have a glass of wine. We can watch skating. You know. (laughs) Excellent. 
For more information on what influenced my trophy life, check out my new book, Parent Up, Inspire Your Child to Be Their Best Self, available at all of your favorite bookstores. As always, you can find me on Instagram at krippon. For questions and comments and more information, check out my website, kellyrippon.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.